want to encourage you to uh, take this opportunity this week to reach out to those that are here for the first time and uh, bless them. Make them feel comfortable. Make them feel welcome. Make them uh, get to know them. And uh, for all of us, my heart is that we would set this week aside to seek the Lord. That's my heart for myself. I have a busy schedule like everyone else here does. And it's my desire to, to hear from the Lord myself. Appreciate it what, uh, what Justin said there about that song. About the, uh, actually he was referring to a, a Bible a character there. The woman with the issue of blood. And he said her, she had an issue. And, and I'm sure we have issues. Life brings issues. Life is not perfect. At least not for me. And if you were at church yesterday, you've already heard some of that. Brother Darrell spoke very clearly to issues of life that you might be facing. And so, uh, may we allow the Lord to meet our needs. That's my desire for all of us here together. I'm going to make an attempt to not uh, preach at you or to you, but to speak to us from the Lord. Because we're all in this together. Some of us have been in the race a little longer than others. Some of us might be down the road a little further. But that's really not a problem with God. He has more work for me to do, more things for me to learn, and I'm sure he has that for you as well. A few things that he would like to teach you this week. So again, welcome. It's very nice to be inside. That was a very, very raw morning out there, to put it bluntly. Wow. We had had very... Spring-like weather the last couple of days, and all of a sudden we're back to cold, wet rain. But anyway, what a nicer day to be inside. Couldn't be a nicer day than for us to be inside here. So for uh, a bit here this morning before I get into the, the assigned topic for me today, establishing godly convictions, <clears throat> I'd like to talk a little more on encouraging all of us to have a heart that is seeking after God this week. But before we go any further, let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. We make holy your name this morning, God. And Father, we pray, come and make this a holy place. Let your presence, O God in heaven, settle down upon us, Lord. We have sought your face. We have searched the word. We have studied. We have labored. We have prayed, Father. And and even at this moment, Lord, we, we can't do it without you, God. So we invite you. We invite your presence, Lord. We invite your help. We invite your spirit, Lord. Father, you, we thank you for every heart here, Lord. Student and staff alike, God, we are, we've gathered here in Jesus' name to learn of Jesus, to sit at his feet, to hear his word, to be challenged, Lord, and yes, to be changed. And Lord, you know our issues, you know our needs, God, each one of them. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to those needs this week, even today, yea, even this morning, Lord God. Minister to those needs, Lord. Be the great shepherd of the sheep, Lord. Anoint our heads with oil, O God. Anoint our heads with oil. Let your rod and your staff guide us and lead us. O Lord, we know we have an enemy that is seeking to devour us and destroy us, Lord. But as David said, in his presence, spread out the table before us, Lord. Thou settest the table in the presence of our enemies. Lord, do that here this morning and protect us from our enemy, Lord, and keep us and help us to guard our hearts today, Lord. 
Father, thank you for the youth body that came and, and gave again another week of their time to be at Bible school. Lord, bless it. For without you, we can do nothing, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I know that you came, or part of the reason, and there's nothing wrong with this reason at all. You, you were looking forward to this, to meet friends. It's a good place to meet friends, and that's, that's good and right and fine. And I, I don't blame you for that at all. <clears throat> Maybe some were coming to make new friends, and that's good and right too. So God bless you for that. But I would just like to have you think for a moment this morning, and even though you know this, I do believe that probably every one of you, deep down in your heart, have a, a desire to get to know God better. I don't know what you wrote on your applications this year, but other years I've read them, and that was a large majority of the group said, I want to get to know God better. Well, you know, Youth Bible schools, it's kind of like a greenhouse, and it's probably, it's a place where you can learn of God, and, and yeah, but where you really get to know God is out in the real walk of life, isn't it? But anyway, something that you need, an element that you need in your heart to get to know God better, if you are going to get anything out of this week, you will need this, what I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking on. And you probably already know this, but I'm going to tell you again. We have this promise in, in, in Psalms 107. We have it in the New, New Testament as well, but I'm just going to give it here. Just the verse. For he, God, he, God, God satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. If you want to get to know God better, if you want to get to know God's attributes, if you want to get to, if you want to take anything out of this place, there needs to be a measure. There needs to be a, a degree of, 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 uh, of longing in your heart in order for you to get something. That's just how it works. Jesus said, blessed are they that, what? Hunger and thirst after God, for they shall be what? Filled. So, that's a burden on my heart this morning for all of us. We read in Revelation that God is not so very happy and pleased and delighted with the lukewarms. It makes him kind of vomity. For those that are just, you know, half-hearted and humdrum, ho-hum ho and humdrum. So deep down in your heart, I urge you to get this one this morning. That word longing, for he satisfieth the longing soul. That word longing means to course like a beast of prey to seek greedily after. For he satisfieth the soul that is greedily seeking after God. Do you think God appreciates an attitude like that? You know, we're taught to be very mannerful. Do you think God appreciates an attitude like that? To chorus like a beast of prey. Every nerve, every muscle, every movement is dictated by the excruciating hunger pain for food in that beast. And he sees that prey and he's got to make every move count and he's not got to, he, he, he can't, he can't scare the, the prey away. So he sits there till it's closing up and he pounces on it and he got his food for the day. That is the picture that God paints for us. Seeking him. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Do you think, and I ask again, God appreciates an attitude like that in his children to seek greedily? Let me explain a little further here. 
in case you're thinking, well, that, that kind of goes against my nature. You're not seeking greedily after God's blessing. You're not seeking greedily after that for God to speak to you. You're not seeking greedily, listen now, after God's blessing upon your soul in competition with those that sit beside you. That's not at all what you're doing. You're not seeking, you're not greedily seeking after God in competition with anyone in this room. So then if you're not seeking greedily after God to bless you so as to get it before someone else gets it, then tell me who and what are we competing with? Who is it? What is it that we're competing with this morning? You know, like that greedy, selfish, mannerless dog that just woofs everything down quickly before the others can get it. Do you think God appreciates a, an attitude like that in us? Yes, he does. Let me explain. God has enough of blessings, enough of provisions in heaven to meet all of our needs here. That's not a problem with him. Every one of us here, we're not going to rob God. We're not going to... We're not going to... Uh, uh, minimize his provisions if all of us get everything we need this week. But we, what we are competing against is the flesh, the world, and the devil. That's what we're competing against. Like that dog that just, you know, when another dog comes to its bowl, it just, you know, goes down close. As God is working in your heart this week, even maybe this morning, putting his finger on a need and it's, it's connecting, you protect that thing like that dog protects his bowl of food. You don't let other thoughts come in. You don't let distractions come in. You don't let uh, 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 fears and imaginations come in. You, 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 you guard that thing. You don't let it get away from you. That's the attitude God wants. You understand? God is speaking to your heart and someone gets up and walks back and, and you all watch, you, know, you look and, and don't watch out for those kind of things. The flesh, the world, things in your mind. And, and the Bible tells us that as the word is being preached, then cometh the devil. So we have an enemy. So just know that. Be be instructed. So coming back now to the question, does God appreciate an attitude like this in his children? The answer is a resounding yes. God liked it in Jacob. When Jacob, you know, Jacob, that supplanter, Jacob, that, that lived his life playing tricks and getting things by trickery. But when Jacob came to the end of himself and he was coming up to meet his brother Esau there. And he was seeing that he's in trouble, he's in need. What am I going to do? What is Esau going to do to me? He put the rest of his family over the brook there and he wrestled with God. And he had that attitude, God, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's that greedy attitude that I'm talking about this morning. God don't mind that attitude. God, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I've struggled with this need long enough. God, make this Bible school 2018 the one that I can find the victory. God, give me something. Give me a footing. Give me something to help me with my need. I won't let you go, God, unless you bless me. No problem with God. He liked it in David where David said, My soul pants after the water brook like the, like the heart pants after. My soul pants after thee like that deer pants after the water brook. That's all it can think. Water, water, water. God, God, meet my need. No problem with God. He didn't mind, God didn't mind this attitude at all with blind Bartimaeus. You know, they told him, be quiet, be quiet. He cried all the more, and Jesus didn't mind it one bit.
So I don't know what that does to your theology as far as coming before the Lord. But, but Jesus said from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That word violence means to be seized. If you're going to wait to God, for God to come and give it to you on a silver platter, you might not get it. It's to be seized. And the violent, the forcer, the energetic, take it by force to seize, to catch it away. It's all over the Bible, what I'm saying here. So if you're hungry, famish. Coming back to our verse here. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with, with goodness. Hungry there means famished. Hunger pains, hunger bitten. Jesus said and already quoted this blessed, supremely blessed, fortunate, well off are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What is your heart like this morning? Is it like the sponge? Just waiting for water. I want water. I want the water of God. I want the water of life. Let's see how much water we can get into this sponge. Is this a picture of your soul? Hungry and thirsty. Now I don't want to go in. Maybe I got the wrong sponge. Maybe it needs to be primed. I did it at home and it worked. There we go. <laughs> That's what I should do, baby. Get this thing primed up. Okay. Well, try the other side. Maybe it's this water. I don't know what it is, but uh, anyway, you'll get the point, I think. Anyway, you know how a sponge is supposed to work. It's supposed to absorb and absorb and just waiting to uh, take all that in. That was the point. Just takes a little. You know, preachers can't force it down anyone's throat. It takes time. <laughs> takes time. Anyway, I'm sure you get the point. It's so different than this rock here. You know, nothing goes in this rock. You boys that can't see over there, it all runs off. So what's your heart like this morning? Sometimes we harden our hearts. The Bible says, harden not your heart. We can do that. We can harden our hearts. Nothing goes in. You sit in a meeting like this all week long. If you harden your heart, it just all runs off like water off a duck's back. Just all runs off. <clears throat> and my other point was if I'd get all this sponge full of water that it wouldn't take anymore you could make another point than if you came with your heart so full of self and the world that it can't take anymore so are you willing to empty yourself of yourself and let God fill you this week <clears throat> think about that as we go along here this morning <clears throat> <clears throat> Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. I would like to ask you to ask yourself a very personal and very important question right now. The question is, and only you know this and God, what is the state or the condition of your soul this morning? As you sincerely and honestly ask yourself that question. And just really think about it. It may be a little hard for you to do while I'm talking up here. But in the next five or ten minutes or more. What the Holy Spirit brings to your mind is of utmost importance. Really. What is the state or condition of your soul? How do you stand before God this morning? Really. Did you ever stop and think about that? 
What is the state of your soul? Is it famished? Is it fed? Are you feeding your soul or is it famished? Are you hurting or are you healed? Are you forgiving or unforgiving? Deep down in there, are you bitter or are you sweet? What is the state of your soul? Are you carnal or are you spiritual? Are you worldly or are you heavenly minded? Are you victorious or are you defeated? Are you transparent or are you impervious or opaque? Can't see through. What is the state of your soul? Is there light from God coming to your soul? Or is there no light from God coming to your soul? In your soul, are you in fellowship with God? Or are you not in fellowship with God? This is the day of decision. What you do with the things that the Holy Spirit witnesses to your heart now... In the next few minutes, as you seriously ponder and ask yourself that question, what you will do with those things will largely determine the outcome of what you take away from this place at the end of the week. This is the day of decision. Howard Bean, in his book, uh, Faithful Family, said this. He said, future Generations, plural, future generations can be powerfully impacted by one person's decision to follow the ways and words of God. Look at all these people here and all the branches that might come out of you. Hundreds of people. Where will they end up at? What will they be like? What would the testimony have been of Grandpa, you, Grandma, you, two generations down the road? Today is the day to make that decision. Amen? Today is the day to make good history. What is the state of your soul? Let me tell you a story of one of my cousins. I was talking to my brother the other day on the phone and he said he was at a place of business where they had an open house and lots of people and he was sitting at the table eating his sandwich and there's people all around there and he noticed this fella across the table from him with a very familiar name. Totally stranger. Tattoos on his arm. Anything looking like a Christian. But he had a familiar name. And so curiosity got the best of him, and he asked him, and he ended up being our cousin's son. Now, we played with this boy's dad, my brother and I did, back when we were knee-high. You know, we played together. You know, what caught your last games. We had lots of fun together, raced around the house, played hide-and-go-seek together. But somewhere along the way, that cousin of ours made a decision that wasn't good and went out in rebellion, walked away from God. If I have the story right, his, his, uh, they, they've, they're divorced and uh, no longer together, and this was one of his children. <clears throat> and you can probably all think of cases like that. But decisions are big stuff. Consistency, convictions. I'm coming down to where we want to be at. Convictions are big stuff. And I at least suggest that you make at least a mental note of the things that perhaps God is speaking to you about the state of your soul. Maybe I've been too wordy up here and kept you from really hearing your own heart. but, But I think you should spend some time today 
maybe after lunch and just praying about that, at least doing that. If God put his finger on something in your life that you know is not right, and just go after it. Get a little greedy for that thing. You understand? Get a little greedy for the answer. You may even want to go as far as ask someone to go with you, if you care to. That's up to you. And you may even want to go as far as opening up your heart at prayer and sharing time tonight or this afternoon. Monday, do it right away. Get that sponge open. Let the water of God go in there all week long. And you will take a whole sponge full of God home. Amen? Okay, moving on now to, to the assignment today, establishing godly convictions. Number one, why is it important to have godly convictions? Godly convictions are like a compass. A compass. Godly convictions are like a compass. A compass on a big old ocean liner traveling across the ocean. If this ocean liner's destination is due north and the captain keeps that needle or sets his instruments so that thing always goes north, guess what? It's going to get there. It's going to get there. It's going to go straight to where it's supposed to be. For us Christians, what is our destination? Tell me. In life, what is our destination? I'm not talking about heaven. What is our destination here? Communion with God. What else? That's good. It's not what I had, but it's close. Perfection. I have down holiness unto the Lord. That is our destination. Holiness unto the Lord. What is going to keep us on track? If holiness unto the Lord, if everything we do should be holy, and if everything we do should be to the glory of God, then our guiding principle is the Bible. And we form our convictions out of the Bible. So what we should always be thinking about is that needle on holiness. Is it on holiness? Or at least, and, and I, I'm, I'll, I'll explain more, more of this as we go along. We should have some things set that that is the outcome. So as the compass keeps that ocean liner going in the right direction, so our convictions based upon guiding principles of the Bible keep us going in the right direction, and that is Holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's pretty black and white. So, turn with me in your Bibles now to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And we'll get into the word here. <clears throat> First Peter 3 verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now let me ask you a question. How do you sanctify the Lord in your heart? Does that mean you need to make God more holy, more clean? What does that mean to sanctify the Lord God in your heart? Anyone? What does it mean? It means to make God holy, to hallow God. In other words, the effect should be back on us. We need to make God holy in our hearts. And therefore, out of that, that gives us the direction in life. Just what I was saying earlier. To make holy, 
to venerate, to hallow the Lord God in your heart. And so when we do that along life's way, every decision we make, we make in light of a holy God. Make sense? We make in light of a holy God. Just, just a few quick points here. When you ladies sit down at the sewing machine, do so in front of a holy God. In light of a holy God and all that comes out of that. Big stuff. Big stuff. You boys, young men, when you make decisions, the things you buy, when you buy your clothes, sanctify the Lord God. Hallow God in your hearts when you make a decision to buy those clothes. And that'll set you on the right course. That'll build convictions for you. That is what you need. That is what Peter says. Sanctify. Make holy. Make God big. Bring him into the situation. God, what do you think about this? Do you care about this? Do you have an opinion? What does the Bible say? Don't be like the man that was asked what he believes. And he replied by saying, I believe what my church believes. And then he was asked, what does your church believe? And he said, I suppose what I believe. And that's all the father he got. Do you know what you believe? And if you don't, you should find out. And so the story goes on. I said, uh, the story goes on here that, and so men believe what others believe and what their church believes without really knowing what their church or other people do believe. You know, I can't give you, I can't force convictions down your throat this morning. But I'm called to teach the word. And I hope to lay out a few things that would help you find and have solid convictions. Number one, why is it important to have convictions? We want to get there. Number two, why is it important to be established? Let's consider that for a moment. Established means to settle, to fix firmly, unalterably, to settle permanently. Establishing godly convictions. Back to the captain in the ocean liner. If he would not set the instruments... Let's say he's on a 12-hour journey across the ocean, or maybe two days, rather, or three days, however long it takes. If he would not set, you know, he's a, I'll just kind of let it dangle wherever it wants to be, and every now and then I'll come back, and I'll, I'll make sure it's close to, to north. Think that would work? Absolutely not. That would be... Dangerous, reckless, and certainly laborious. Because always coming back and, oh, we're off course here. We've got to get it back. Oh, we're off course here now. But they have instruments in there that they'll set, and that thing keeps it right there. That little rudder. It just... The same is true for the Christian. If we are not established, set in my convictions and have no lines that I won't cross and things that I won't do and always listen now and always need to decide at the moment of crisis what I'm going to do that is dangerous amen reckless and laborious it is so much easier to get this thing settled I will not and I know life isn't all that black and white in every area but you should have some of those things clearly, and I'm sure some of you do, and maybe most of you have lines you will not cross, things you will not say. And if you do, you need, you'll, you'll, you're going to confess it. That should be the rule. So it is, a, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, and that's what you want to do this morning. So it's very important that you're established. And maybe we can help you figure out some of these things today. Godly convictions not only help me do, not do what is wrong, but they help me do what is right. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Many of you probably have a heart that, that goes out to the poor and the needy and and, and you actually feel convicted if you don't help them. That's good. 
convictions help you and me do what's right. John said, Whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? There's something from God that we have, a conviction that it is my duty to help my brother. You understand? Make sense? <clears throat> and that was number three. Number four, godly convictions keep me from doing wrong. And I finished that verse there in James where it says, and keep himself unspotted from the world. Pure and undefiled before God is to visit the fatherless and the widows and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know what I noticed about this verse? It doesn't say splattered. It doesn't say smeared. It just says spotted. What do you see on this sheet of paper? What do you see, I should say, rather? Anything else? What's that? A big white sheet of paper. But the first thing your eyes all went to was that little spot, probably. Because I asked it wrong. I asked it, what do you see on this paper? I meant to say, what do you see? But that is just so the way it is. Our eyes go to those little spots on this big white sheet of paper. That's right where it goes to. And that's what James says the world does. And that's what the world sees. When a Christian fails even in one spot, that's what they see. And that's sad. That's very sad. Godly convictions keep us from doing wrong. It says to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's a pretty high, high standard, I know. But the Bible says that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6, 4. Keep this commandment. What was that commandment? We won't go back and look at it, but I'll tell you what it was. It was a holy life. He lists a number of things there that he shouldn't do, and it basically boiled down. Keep a holy life. Don't let one spot. And if it does, you can clean it up. Praise God. You can confess it. Don't deny it. Don't cover it up. Clean it up. Humble yourself. Get your, 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 uh, your sheet clean again and go on. Don't let one spot because that mars your testimony. Peter also says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, the return of the Lord, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without what? Without spot and blameless. You're not going to do this without convictions, I tell you. You won't do it. You need a guiding principle, and I hope to end up on that here in a bit. I have a little poem here that says it pretty well. Godly convictions keep me from doing wrong even when no one's looking. Even when no one's looking. A father and his daughter were out driving one day, and this conversation ensued. It was well you stopped when the red light flashed, she said as we drove along, for an officer stood on the corner there in charge of the traffic throng. And I smiled and said to my daughter fair as we waited on the spot, I always stop when the red light shows be an officer there or not. Then she sat in thought as we drove along, and suddenly she said, there ought to be lights for us all through life, the amber, the green, and the red. What a help would be if a red light flashed when danger and shame were near. We all might wait till the green light came to show that the way is clear. My dear, said I, we have tried to light life's road for your feet to fare, and we pray you'll stop when the red light glows, though none of us may be there. We have tried to teach you the signs of wrong and the way to a life serene, so stop when your conscience post shows red and go when it flashes green. 
a uh, missionary asked his, uh, one of his converts one day, to native converts, to define the conscience. And he said, this was his answer. He said, it's this little three-cornered thing inside of me that when I do wrong, it starts tumbling and it really hurts me. But he said, if I keep doing wrong, it tumbles and tumbles and tumbles and the edges wear off. And after a while, it don't hurt me anymore. You understand? Now for a classic example of a man that had convictions, a young man. Turn with me to Genesis. And we'll wind up on this text. It's a very familiar passage, but it is a very extremely good text for the occasion here this morning. Genesis 39. I think we have a, a picture here of a, of a young person's conscience and convictions working together. I want you to think about that. Conscience alone won't do it. You need some convictions along with your conscience to make this thing work out. Okay? There is a difference. Here in Genesis 39 is the story of Joseph at Potiphar's house and the temptation there with uh, Potiphar's wife. We'll break in on the story in the story in verse 5. 39.5. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said in his, unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in this house, in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither have he, hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. That he hearkened not unto her to lie by her. Or to be with her. Note that. And it came to pass when this, about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men in the house there within. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left this garment in his hand and fled and got him out. That's as far as we'll read. Talking about a young man that had convictions and had a conscience. Here it is. I see a process here that I'd like to point out, first of all, to us. We see in verse 8 that he refused. And that word refuse means to deny, reject, not accept. But we see... This time, he refused, but there was a bit of dialogue. And he gave the reasons why he was noncompliant. He gave the re- there, was, there was talk with this evil woman. He refused, he denied, he rejected, but he stated his reasons. Clear, thought through reasons for, none, for not complying. One of it was his thankfulness, his gratitude to his master to whom he owed all that he had. And we can read that. He said, everything, my master has given everything to me. 
I am responsible. I bear a responsibility. My dear young people, God has given things to you. He has given you a body, a temple that he wants to dwell in. And he wants to keep it ho- you to keep it holy. It is your responsibility. And you need to think these things through like Joseph did. These good things that I have, I have been given by my master. He knew that in his mind. And, and he felt responsibility. Number two. Not only was he thankful to his master for these good things, but he also feared his master. And he feared God. And he said to her, Secondly, if I do this, it will be a terrible wickedness. And truly, I will be punished for my wicked deed. So, convictions work best. If there is love in the relationship with God, first of all, you need to have a loving relationship. You need to to be thankful for what he's given to you. You need to be jealous over what he's given to you. You need to know know there's a hungry dog, there's a thief that wouldn't mind taking that from you. And you need to be greedy and jealous to protect that thing. Ruthless, violent. You follow me? He was, he was quite disrespectful. I wonder how this went down when he told her, my master wotteth not what is with me. That was saying, my master don't know you. You are a wicked woman. That's what he was saying. My master don't realize what is with me in the house. So he gives her two reasons. And it, it just kind of ends there. I can imagine he just walked away after he was done talking. I'm out of here. And then she comes around again. And we see a different response here. This time it says that he hearkened not where is that uh, 10 he hearkened not unto her that means not to listen not to lend the ear this time there was no discussion that was already done that was already decided now it's no more parling with the devil I'm out of here right away He had already clearly stated his reasons. He had his convictions. And the temptation came again. And this time he didn't talk. He was out of there. What's more, thirdly, he put space between them. It says he didn't get close to her after this. That was conviction. I will not put myself in the way of temptation. So Joseph was was careful now. He made sure he knew where she was. I believe that. Just kind of reading into it. He made some practical applications here and he said, space. This is is bad. I got to do my job, but I'm going to put space here. And he stayed away. He didn't get near. Well, one day he had to go back into the house. And I believe because of his convictions, he thought all was clear. And out of nowhere, she comes. It just says, look at it. Verse 12. He went into the house and she caught him. Out of nowhere. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. What did he do? Now he flees. He leaves his garment. This was an all-out contest from Satan to test the power of Joseph's flesh against the power of his spirit. Convictions. Did you get that? 
The flesh is strong, but in this case, the spirit was stronger. And that's what we want for all of us. Amen. This is a real temptation. And I know there's many different temptations in life, but this was a contest of powers. And because of his resolve, because of being settled, because of being established, because of having set, I won't, be, I won't get close to that woman again. When she came upon him, he fled, leaving his coat. That's how strong his convictions were. She showed up out of nowhere and caught him. The matter was already decided. The red lights were flashing. The conscience was working. The decision was already made, and he fled. I say, thank you, Joseph. Now, let me ask you a question here. What did this cost Joseph? What did he lose? You tell me. Okay. What else? Everything. Okay, what else? Huh? Provision? Position? I had written that down, but then I, then I crossed it out because I, I didn't think so. And I'll tell you why. I, that came to me too. But what else did it cost him? Anyone over here? Huh? Maybe? I'll let the boys group figure that out, okay? When you discuss that, just that later. <laughs> did it cost him his reputation? Uh, I'm still looking for something specific. Pretty, pretty simple. Yeah, his job. What else? His coat. He lost his job and his coat. What didn't he lose? What did he not lose? Amen. Peace with God, integrity, clear conscience. Amen. He did not lose that. He lost a coat and kind of lost his job. That needs some clarification. I had thought, too, maybe he lost his position, but, you know, he went to prison and he got it right back. He got it right back. He was right up at the top again. He was godly. And the prisoner keeper saw it, and the whole prison is under his control. So did he lose his position? Did he lose his job? Did he lose his reputation? You figure that out. I'm not sure that he did. Outwardly, maybe, falsely accused, but not really. He did not lose his clear conscience. Praise God. And that's what I want for all of us, to not lose our clear conscience. Lastly, point number five, and this comes maybe after the fact a little, I don't know. Maybe this should have been first, but how do I get Godly convictions. Well, I already, I already alluded to this a bit, but godly convictions come first and at least the foundation. You need this to have real convictions is a personal revelation to your heart of the love and mercy and the severity of God. I know that's big stuff, but... You need to see God. You need to have a revelation. You need the love of God shed abroad in your heart and that you're willing to leave a coat, leave a job for your love for the Lord, so to speak. Okay? You're willing for your convictions to cost you something to keep what you don't want to lose. That works. That works. Hadn't thought about this, but it comes to my mind now. Just my own testimony. I was 18 years old, just a wild and careless and doing whatever the flesh wanted to do, young boy. Dancing was in my life. Country music was in my life. And I got converted. And I fell in love with Jesus. And no one told me. In fact, that was the tradition among our young people there to dance. But I could not 
allow myself to dance after that. I was of the Lord. I had a conviction. Country music went by the wayside. No one taught me to do that. And I think it was because I had started. I didn't see it all. There was much more to get. But God gave me a a revelation of himself. However limited that was, but it was foundational. And I was, I was 18 year old and my friends would say, what happened to you? Come on. I said, I can't. I can't. Adam Clark gives this definition. The love of God shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit produces the deepest religious reverence, genuine piety, and cheerful obedience. Amen? That's what we want, cheerful obedience. Without love, there is no obedience. Is that right? True obedience. You can talk about that in your groups. Without love, there is no obedience. You can maybe obey on the outside, but if you're, not, if you're not obeying on the inside, are you obeying? Without love, there is no obedience. Without reverence, there is no caution. Without godly fear, you're not caution. Caution. Without reverence, there is, no, neither, there is neither caution, consistent conduct, nor perseverance in righteousness. Now get this. Very, very important. This fear or religious reverence, godly conviction, is said to be the beginning of knowledge in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Amen? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This fear and religious reverence is said to be the beginning of knowledge, the principle, the first moving influence begotten in a tender conscience by the Spirit of God. No man can ever become truly wise who does not begin with God, the fountain of knowledge, and whose mind is influenced by fear and love of God will learn more in a month than others will in a year. And I thought about this for you here. For, for those that are here that are, that are greedy and hungry and thirsting and, and after God. And when God speaks to them, they do something with it. That person will get more today than others that do not have that will get all week long. Am I right, brothers? I think so. This thing, brothers and sisters, is, is a, is a, is a, it's a make it or break it thing. Whether you're going to have a profitable, meaningful, growing experience this week. Yes, it depends on us. Yes, it depends on my attitude and how I convey the message and what I say. And I know I'm probably not doing the greatest job. But it also depends on you being hungry and greedy and thirsting for God. It depends on you a lot. I really believe it does. Allow yourself to be instructed by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen, Hebrews 2, 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed. That same attitude. The more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time some other dog should come and get it. Lest at any time we let it slip. Are you saying, Brother Elvin, it's really that serious? Yes. I'll leave you with a story on the fear of God. Two brothers owned a store one day, and they noticed that things were beginning to get away without being paid for. So they decided they're going to drill a hole in the ceiling and lay up there and kind of check things out. And they figured out what uh, was going on. They figured out who was stealing the stuff. And what do you think they did? They could have went to the individual and, and said, hey, we saw you stealing items out of our store, but they didn't do that. All they did is just say, they told someone in the community, there's a hole in the ceiling at their store. And this thing went around the community. There's a hole in the ceiling at the store. 
And so they watched in the weeks to come and customers would come in there and try and figure out where this hole in the ceiling is in the store. And they saw the person come in there who did the stealing and looking for the hole in the ceiling in the store. Stealing stopped. They had a a fear of of the owner seeing them and you know, that type of fear before God coupled with a love for God. I can't think of a better way to establish you with godly convictions than that. You need both. God bless you. <clears throat> God bless you.